and he's told it'll be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach. Uh, it's the message of God. I mean, it is the gospel. It is understanding a call to repentance is a call to surrender uh, to, to Christ in, in Revelation. And that's, that's the scroll. That's his message. So when he takes that in his mouth, uh, as we talked about a little bit in, in Bellevue, I'm, is that, that that sweetness is realizing the justice of God, the vindication of God, the judgment on his enemies, uh, that sweetness in your mouth of, yes, it's going to happen. Welcome to this week's episode of The Follow-Up, where we recap this week's sermon so you can grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. I'm here with Pastor Jack and Pastor Adam. Welcome, guys. Good Thanks day. Yay. I'm excited for us to dive in. So to kick things off, can you guys just give us a short rundown of Revelation so far and where we are? You're up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are looking at uh, ultimately the, the hope that we have in Jesus. So we started out with the letters to the churches that John is writing to an act, actual churches that existed in the first century that um, relates to us today as well. And then as we've been teaching through Revelation, looking at the, the trumpets and the seals and the bowls, we're looking at that as far as being a retelling of what's been happening throughout church history. And so within the trumpets, we see, you know, God's acts of judgment that are happening right now that are pertaining to creation. Um, there is a spiritual war that is happening um, all around us that, that we are a part of, but that um, those that have put their trust in Christ have the assurance and the certainty of a victory in Christ, as well as the seal of God that is on our foreheads through these troubling times. So we don't have to worry uh, through this time that we need to stay faithful. And so this last weekend, you know, we looked at um, the, the role of this interlude between the trumpets of the, the witness that the church has throughout this time in a world that has been rejecting God, the part that we play through our words and our actions in calling people to Jesus. And then looking ahead, we're gonna see the ultimate defeat of the enemy of God. We're gonna see the defeat of Satan. We're gonna see the defeat of any system that has put its place um, instead of God. And we're gonna see final judgment, the new heavens and the new earth, Eden restored, and the follower of Jesus in the presence of God in joy forever. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have to look forward to. Well said. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So next question, what is the meaning of the mighty angel and the little scroll talking, talked about in Revelation chapter 10? So I'll run with that one first. It's a, first of all, there is a, a picture back. There's a view back to Ezekiel because it's the same challenge given to Ezekiel. Take the scroll, eat it. And he's told it'll be sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach. Uh, it's the message of God. I mean, it is the gospel. It is understanding a call to repentance is a call to surrender uh, to, to Christ in, in Revelation. And that's, that's the scroll. That's his message. So when he takes that in his mouth, uh, as we talked about a little bit in, in Bellevue, um, is that, that that sweetness is realizing the justice of God, the vindication of God, the judgment on his enemies, uh, that sweetness in your mouth of, yes, it's going to happen. The bitterness is when you start, when it settles in and you start digesting it, it's like, wow, there's repercussions to this. There's a toughness there. And Ezekiel saw the same thing in the Old Testament. So that's, that's the message. That's what, that's what we as believers are to carry. And boy, there is something, as you were saying, there is something sweet of, of looking to the end times and understanding the ultimate victory for us mm -hmm. and understanding also the bitterness or harshness for those 
who don't wear the jersey, yeah. who, who don't have the mark of God. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's where I think some people might say, well, how could the word of God be upsetting to people? Mm -hmm. But I think exactly what you're saying, Jack, the, the part that causes like indigestion for John is the sense that once you personalize that and you, you put names uh, to this of yeah. people that have rejected Jesus and the ultimate outcome, if they continue to reject Jesus, that's where, man, our hearts ache because we realize we're talking about something with eternal ramifications for people that don't choose to repent yeah. and embrace mm -hmm. God's grace. And that's where there is that, um, that upsetting in our stomachs. Yeah. While it's sweet, like the hope we have in Jesus and it's the word of God going forth and we celebrate the good that's happening, that part right now that we experience of uneasiness that again, and even that is, is temporary. Mm -hmm. Like in eternity, we're not going to be like, oh, it would have been so much better if so-and-so would have been here. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, again, we're, we're going to be in complete joy mm -hmm. at some point forever. Yay. Who could the two witnesses in Revelation 11 represent and what is their role? So we talked about it uh, this weekend from the church's perspective as a witness. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a little fun with this and roll over into another viewpoint as we've talked about throughout this series, there can be more than one viewpoint. There's one we're taking within the teaching from a historical perspective. Mm -hmm. There are other viewpoints that we may get to the end and be like, oh, that was a little different than we thought. Mm -hmm. um, so please understand that in this discussion, these are discussions around this. Uh, we're gonna talk about this a little bit more in some of the questions that are gonna come up. But a lot of people will lean into this, the, the concept of Moses and Elijah. These are the two who showed up at Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. And when you look at uh, historical or time frame context, we see Moses, the, the decadent sin that was going on. We see with Elijah, the violent sin that was going on. And one of the, the context of the commentaries I read was, as you see the end times coming, you see both of those kind of blending and coming together, like the worst of both parts of humanity being brought together. So the two witnesses could be from the Old Testament, those two voices speaking from worst case scenarios where God use these you know, prophets to bring his people out. These could be the voices. There's some symbolism in there that if, you know, literally is there fire that comes from their mouth? Is this, are these literal pictures or is it a representation of the Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit, fire, go back to the book of Acts. Um, these are some things that, that uh, I don't know that we're gonna get full understanding of this sign of eternity, uh, but they are some realistic viewpoints that are out there. Yeah, and, that, and that's where, Again, like Jack was saying, there's difference of opinion, whether this is like literally two people at a future point that have these divine powers that uh, are going forward um, that we should be looking towards or, or that um, in the futurist view would be happening after the church has been right. raptured and, right. and this is a witness that is going forth. Or as I would say, we've been teaching it kind of like Jack was saying, historical or symbolic. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that it is representative of the church's witness throughout the time from Jesus' ascension until his return. And so there's some clues to that as we see two lampstands and it's like, well, where else do we see the lampstands? Well, earlier in the book, we saw Jesus walking among the lampstands that uh, are a picture of the church. Yeah. And so the fact that here we have two witnesses. Um, we've been teaching that it's reflective of our witness, our witness today. And then as we look at, you know, the, the mighty acts that, the, that uh, they do, again, that it's symbolic of the gospel message going forth. Um, just like Jeremiah, you know, was told that 
Uh, his words would be fire and consume the people mm -hmm. like wood. It wasn't like literal fire that mm -hmm. came out of Jeremiah's mouth. Or even as, you know, we explained downtown or I talked about a little bit, you know, when Jesus talks about in, in Matthew that uh, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we'll be able to say to that mountain, move and yeah. it'll move. And yet the Rocky Mountains have always been in Colorado. You mm -hmm. know, they haven't been moving around based on someone just saying, move, move, move. We take that symbolically to mean that Jesus was saying these immense things that we go through by faith, we'll be able to get through and overcome based on Christ. And similarly, the message of the witnesses that our word has power, that as we proclaim Christ, Christ has the power to yeah. save, mm -hmm. to transform, to heal, to mend, um, to forgive that we in ourselves don't have that power, but it's through Christ and our witness testifying to Christ that people are given hope, eternal life, and, and joy forever. And, and so that, that part that we play in that. Yeah, and I also, to your point, you, you look at the empowerment in the New Testament church, of the church individually and of the church corporately. And I love one pastor said years ago, you know, the church is God's plan A with no plan B. Like we're mm, still, yeah. If you look what's going on around the world, the church is still a change agent. I oh, mean, within our own country, as much as they're trying to mute or silence the church, so many groups are, we're still making a, a huge monumental shift and change in so many parts of the world, even with the underground church, uh, for the poor, for the destitute, the outcast, uh, for the addicted, for the abused. Um, I'm grateful, I'll speak for Spring Lake, I'm grateful for people who step up and we see life change happen. Oh not because of us, but by the power of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. working through us. And I would say that about seven, about a number of churches in the Green Bay area, Brown County area, country and world. So don't lose the sight uh, of an empowered church, a persecuted church, which I think there's more coming, uh, but at the same time, uh, an empowered church. Yeah. And I wanna kind of spill over, because I think this may be another question coming too, is this idea of the witness being with two because we see that, you know, in, in Jesus' words, when Jesus sent out witnesses, he sent them out in twos. Mm -hmm. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it's out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. There's always the witness and there's the one who gives testimony to the witness. A witness in and of themselves is one person, one word, it's unverifiable. Mm -hmm. When you go to court in, in, in those days, there was the witness and then there was those who would give account to the witness. Mm -hmm. So when we read about the two witnesses, the two lampstands, the, the two olive trees, it's a, it's a confirmation of what we see all through scripture of, it's not just one person standing on their own. Even Jesus said, it's not just my word, my father backs my words. And so we see both of those. When we see the church, it's the church and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, mm. the, 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 the confirmation of what God is doing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Something that you had brought up, Jack, at the beginning of this is mm -hmm. that, or beginning of this question, was that there are so many different ways to interpret right. what's gonna happen at the end times. How can we say that about the book of Revelation, but we are confident in what the Bible says in every other book? Great question. Did you want to take that first? Because I know we... Yeah, well, I, I, I would say that's a really good question because where there's some things where we're not going to budge on, where we're saying, you know, Jesus is the only way. We're not going to mm -hmm. say, well, you know, that's just a matter of interpretation. Um, 
how we approach Revelation, first of all, in the style that it was written. So believing, you know, apocalyptic Mm -hmm. is different in its writing form that um, John sees something or he hears something and then he sees something else. And so there's definite things that he sees that are a picture of something else. So when we see the lamb that um, looked like it was slain, we know, okay, well, he's referring to Jesus. We're not talking about literally a lamb that is walking around in in heaven. And so there's definite pictures that we can see and things that we understand to be symbolic. The interpretation of those symbols is where there's difference. And that's where, um, as we've taught through this, we want to be very careful that um, as followers of Jesus, we want to be faithful to God's word. And within that, there's, I think, in our hearts, a desire we want to be right. You know, no one wants to mislead or no one wants to follow something that is wrong. But having said that, everyone is looking at this in the sense of what did God mean when he wrote this? Mm -hmm. And so where we can say there's differing opinions on how to interpret it, it doesn't come back to a salvation issue. So it's not like if you get this wrong, you're not saved. Right. You know, if you get this wrong, um, you are not becoming more like Jesus. So it's not a holiness issue either. Um, and so those are the things that I would say are very critical as far as what do we need to be in line with where we say, hey, we're not going to budge from that salvation or are becoming more like Jesus. And then in that, to look at um, the big picture of what Revelation is saying, what is the overall intent that it has? So we can have differing viewpoints, and yet we should all agree that it's meant to drive us to faithfulness, to hope, to um, really a sense of urgency and sharing Jesus. And so regardless of the differing opinions, those three things would be some of the main things we come back to where we can say, hey, my views on this might be changing, but um, we can still agree and we can still fellowship together. And that's what we want to really hold to at Spring Lake is that people can have differing viewpoints and uh, some might not even really know where they stand or some might be different than it was five years ago. And we can talk about those things, but we don't have to become divisive over those things. Yeah. I go back to the first century church. And it was understood and has been understood. The gospels point us to the gospel, the way of salvation. It points us to Jesus. Paul's writings bring us to a structure of the church and a doctrinal structure. Revelation understood from the beginning uh, a lot of the apocalyptic pictures. If you go back and read some of our early church fathers, there are differing views even then. And while this would step on some toes, there are some Bible translations that have happened since the last millennium, the early 1900s, maybe 18, even like 1850s, Bible translations or um, Bible commentary. So um, I'll just throw out names, a, a Dake's commentary or a Ryrie commentary, or, you know, going through where there have been some personal views put into their commentaries that aren't part of the scriptures that sometimes we absorb as well. It's in there. It's like, it's part of the commentary. It's not part of the historical view of the church. Uh, so you you hold to that. And to your point, Adam, which I really appreciate is in each of these symbolistic symbolism pieces, where does it end? It ends with a worship of the one on the throne. Mm-hmm. When we went through 10 and 11 this week, 
yeah, there's a lot of symbolism that that for some of us maybe guesswork. Other 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 pieces are a little more solid. But where does it end? With everyone's eyes going to the throne and everyone worshiping the one who's there, the king with ultimate authority, no vote. No public opinion, doesn't matter what the king says goes. So I think in in Revelation, finding hope, perseverance, and prayer uh, of the saints is obviously shows up throughout the whole book and keeping our eyes on Christ through the whole thing. Right. And it ends with good news. Don't lose that in in getting in the little stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think within that, um, people don't have to worry if they get the symbols wrong as long as they're living ready. Okay. You know, I think it comes okay. back to that over and over again, that more than being certain about being right, be ready. Mm-hmm. Because if you're ready, you don't have to worry that you had all the timing wrong, right? Yeah. Um, because you lived faithfully, you lived ready for the return of Jesus w- one way or another, whether it's your last breath or Jesus comes back during, during our lifetime. Um, and, and so within that, there's never going to be a point, uh, we might have said this before, where um, Jesus returns and we all go into the sky to, to be with Jesus and we look at one another and say, told you so. Yeah. You know, none of us have one up on the other. I think so. I've got an aunt that may do that. <laughs> Just saying, she might. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, t- making light of it, I, there was a, a satirical piece I saw years ago. I told you guys about this, but satirical piece where Jesus came back and only two people were taken who had perfect doctrine. One was a housewife from Poughkeepsie and one was a guy from New Delhi, India, and everyone else was off. Um, yeah, not that it's a moving target because it's not, uh, but the symbolism, there's some guesswork that doesn't change who Jesus is, right. you know? And there's still, as much as we may hit on the historical pieces, I didn't live back then. There may be some pieces they read and understand from a historical context that we're going, oh, didn't know that. Right. Didn't have that insight. So, right. and, and that's where I think just that sense of open-handedness yeah. Yeah. is so key. Because I would say, you know, based on my background, my upbringing, my mm-hmm. schooling, I used to hold this very tightly, thought I had it all figured out. And then as I studied more, there were years where I'm like, man, I'm not so sure. And I would probably be, you know, considered a pan millennials, like, oh, it will all pan out for a while. I just didn't know where I stood. Um, now my views have, have lined up into a certain category, um, more so um, from w- what I had grown up with. But even within that, there's still an open handedness yeah. where I can say there are certain things that I might be holding to now that five years from now might, might change in, in this area. Um, as we study more, as we learn more and, uh, that we need to be okay with that. And that doesn't mean that we're unfaithful. That just means we're growing just mm-hmm. like in any other area right. of the Bible. Iron sharpening iron. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, man, I thought I was patient. You know, the fruit of the spirit, you might have thought you had it all together. And then you realize, man, what I thought was patience then is nothing compared to what I've learned about patience now. Right. So we're always learning and continuing to grow. And so uh, within that walk by faith through every season, and, and I would just encourage in this area for some people that are like, man, I don't know how they're coming up with this. Continue to read your Bible, continue to study, read commentaries, read different books. You know, we talked about the blessed book that has been a very readable um, book pertaining uh, to, to Revelation that I believe has been really helpful. Um, but continue to, to read and study and right. pray and, and, and just go hard after Jesus in this, in this topic. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. We got two questions from the congregation. One of them is what is being symbolized by the angel measuring the temple, but not the outer court because it's quote, it has not been given over to the Gentiles. 
Yeah, first or me. You know, I'll 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 talk a little bit about you know just as far as you know what I studied as far as um, you know the temple being representative. I mean, there's again there's different views when it comes to the temple um, here that some see this as a literal temple that is rebuilt in in Jerusalem at some future date. Um, Some see this as a heavenly temple. And then there's others that interpret this as being the people of God right now, that um, the temple is representative of God's presence with his people and the measuring um, being significant and that it is defining um, that God has set who his people are. Yeah. He knows who are his and he is going to protect them just as we saw, you know, with the seal of God on the foreheads that um, there is nothing in question pertaining to that in light of the hardships that are happening. And, and so the fact that uh, the temple is measured being significant in the protection of God, the outer courts not being measured, given over to the Gentiles, that it's interpreted as that is unbelievers. So in a sense, um, how I see it is um, that it's picturing God's protection of his people, that their soul is safe, does not have to fear God's judgment, mankind, nothing that comes against us can impact what God has already done within us. But that with the unbelievers trampling the, the outer courts, that it does mean that we can go through some hard times and some persecution and that um, this outer man can can struggle, you know, and we even see that with the witnesses a bit that they're faithful in their witness. And yet the world comes against them and the beast is given authority over them or power over them and they're and they're killed. And, and so within that. The confidence that despite what we face, that God's protective hand uh, is on us, that we don't have to face his judgment. We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear death. There's a historical perspective, too, of Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth. Um, He came in, Gentile king, and not only did he just spit on all the traditions of Israel, but he also sacrificed a pig in the outer courts. So now you're talking about the, you know, the desecration, the abomination that happens on that outer courts when the Gentile comes in and, and marches all over it. They made it a horrific pagan sacrifice and celebration on the outer, uh, outer gates of the, ho- the Holy of Holies. So you're talking about a, uh, an event that would have marked, been marked in Jewish memory. And then the Maccabean revolution comes out of that. We won't go into all that, but, but yeah, that was something that once again, first century church reading this would have gone, Oh yeah, we remember that. So. Okay. Final question. If the two witnesses represent the church, what is being symbolized by the fire coming out of their mouth, the powers they have and the way that they are quote tormented, tormented the inhabitants of the earth. I go back to, we we kind of touched on this one a little bit already. Um, Just like, the mountain being moved. Uh, there, there's a lot I think that is uh, that could be symbolic. But, but think about this. I, I, like I said, we've already, I know we've already said this, but think about how many groups are trying to shut the church down. How many mm-hmm. governments globally are, are are silencing, trying to remove the, the 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 power of the word of the mouth of the church, the word of the church. Um, and at the same time, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the the representation we see in Jeremiah of the fire within the church. So I, I, I think there's a lot at play and that the, the church is not as weak and helpless as it's made out to be sometimes, uh, whether that's culturally, whether that's our own frustration with the church, whether that is um, uh, media driven, whatever. 
there's more going on within the church and the move of the Holy Spirit within the church than I think we're even aware of. And no matter how hard people come against it, and like you talked about, the, the death of it, three and a half days, we're back, you know? And I want to spill over because I had a question written to me personally that didn't make a list, but it, within that is that three and a half days, that number 42, three and a half years, 42 years. There's something about those numbers where we see God intervene after the struggle of his people, after the battle of his people. And one of them that I mentioned um, that I didn't clarify was when you look at the, the children of God in the wilderness, which is a big picture of the, of the struggle of the people of Israel before God brings them to the promised land. We look in the book of Revelation. It's a struggle of the people of God and his protection of them before he brings them into their eternal promised land. 40 years, the people, uh, the children of, of God in the Old Testament were in the wilderness, but that calendar started after they had already been out of Egypt for two years. So it's actually a 42-year window, and you and I were talking about this, the 42 stations that they stop at before they get to the promised land. There's something about that 42 um, that's uh, that where God says, listen, there's a season. That's probably a better way to say it before we get to the seven year mark, the fulfillment, the completion, there's a point in there where God's people go through and I'm going to show up. Like I'm going to show up. I've been keeping you through all of this and it's been tough, but I'm going to show up in this. Mm -hmm. So the symbolism and Pam, thank you for the question. Uh, the symbolism of that 42 and the 42 years of the people of, of Israel, there's something to show us, I believe symbolically that yeah, we, we are going to go through stuff yeah. and we are going to go through the persecution and we're going to see God's hand of provision, protection, even in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, as you look at the three and a half years or times, times and half a time yes. or the 1260 yes. days or the 42 months, yep. it's all referring to the same thing, yeah. you know, and on one hand, you know, the, the 42 months where it can reflect God's uh, protection you know, and his provision. And at the same time, you know, the 1260 days, um, the, the hardship and the struggle that the church goes through and really believing that these are two sides of the same coin yeah. that, um, what we experience through this time, we are going to see the hand of God and we're going to experience his provision and there's going to be blessing and goodness. And at the same time, it's hard mm -hmm. and there's struggle and there's, there's heartache and tears, um, that we go through as well. But, stay faithful because there is a yep. measure time where it's done. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. And we're in his presence forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys for these great conversations. The crazy thing is we're actually taking a break. Yes. Taking a break. So we will be back on the follow-up January 8th. So wow. I, that's a long time. That is Second a long half of the time. book. We're halfway through halfway Revelation. Through. Wow. So. And you know, chapter 12 too, we can encourage people to look ahead because mm -hmm. chapter 12 is the Christmas story. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Yeah, it is. It go. is. Yep. Woman hey. giving birth, the dragons ready there to devour the child. That's, <laughs> that's our graphic that's good, for Christmas Eve. Good one to I read mean, going into Christmas. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, wonderful guys. We will see you on January 8th for the next episode of the follow-up. So make sure you subscribe so you never miss out on any of the videos we put out before then. And we'll see you guys then. Have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas.